0: is the 13th Annual Santa Barbara Writers Conference. Tape number 14, Lee Goldberg on Hot Sex and Violence.
1: Is that right, Coco? Great. All right. I don't have my own little podium like that guy last night. It's not fair, but I know what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to tell their credits. And I happen to know some of Lee Goldberg's credits. He was an editor and a columnist of his junior high, high school, and college papers. His professional credits are numerous. Among them are Starlog, Newsweek, American Film, Playgirl, Teenage, Teenage Idols, Rock, Fangoria, Cinefantastic, The San Francisco Chronicle, United Press International, Daytime TV, Lesher Newspapers, etc., etc., etc. Till you hate the kid. <laughs> He's won a lot of awards too. He got Rolling Stone's Collegiate Press Award for Best Entertainment Reporter. Society of Professional Journalists, three prizes. Two for Best In-Depth Reporting, and again for Best Feature. California Intercollegiate Press Association gave him awards for Best Feature, and then two more for Best Short Story, and he got that one twice. The Contra Costa Press Club gave him an award for Best Feature. As Ian Ludlow, he has four novels in the Vigilante series. Two are outside, get up now and buy them before they're gone, and he's got more to come. His nonfiction book, Unsold TV Pilots, will be out in 1987. And that's under your real name, right? Lee Goldberg. His screenplay, don't you start to hate him now? He's 23. His screenplay, 357 Vigilante, based on his book and written by him will be released by New World Pictures next spring. He now tells me he has another book contract for four books and another pen name, Dirk Faulkner. <laughs> All right, you know who I am. I'm Jan Curran, and I write write-on. I also wrote a book, which is there's one left out there. And I used to write a newspaper column under a different name, and that was Jan Goldberg. So that's your clue that I am this guy's mom, okay? and I am the only person who can honestly say that I taught Lee Goldberg how to write. I said him, no dear, you hold the pencil like this and the E has three little lines in it. And he was two years old and he hasn't stopped writing since. One year when I came to the Santa Barbara Writers Conference, it got foggy and my plane didn't take off. And I called home long distance and I asked Lee to write my newspaper column and he did. And when I got back, he said, anyone with two years of high school can do what you do. And then he continued to do it. And he was my editorial assistant at the Contra Costa Times, wrote his own column called Lee Knows, N-O-S-E, which has nothing to do with the way he looks. Now, I know you want to know about this hot sex and gory violence. Well, I taught him everything that he knows about sex. Years ago, not that many years ago, I bought a yellow bikini, one of these little crocheted numbers, (laughs) and I modeled it for my four children. Lee is the eldest of my four. And I said, is this suit too much? And Lee said, it's not enough. (laughs) So he is always asked what his mother thinks about his writing. These torrid sex scenes and the gory violence and I have read all the newspaper newspaper stories on Lee. I know ABC in San Francisco has a special on him coming up in July, and I know he always says, I'm embarrassed and ashamed. It's not true. Where's mine? Come here, Lee. (laughs) Nancy Painter is our artist-in-residence, and she knew that I get teased a lot. Don't touch my nose. Get teased a lot by by Lee's uh, sex scenes. So this is your current seal of approval. The seal is wearing a yellow bikini, okay? So I approve of your work. Hey, it's your turn now, okay.
0: It's strange to be asked about, or to talk about hot sex and gory violence. I mean, I don't look like the kind of guy who would write about hot sex and gory violence. So I went to um, the ABA in San Francisco. And there's this series book called The Executioner, and they're on like number 110 or something. The Adventures of Mac Bolan, this mercenary soldier of fortune and general hero. And the guy who writes these books, if you can imagine, he looks less violent and less hot sex than I do. The guy always wears button-down shirts and the sweaters and everything. His fans are all with the guns and they drag their wives behind him, and. and it's embarrassing to be a wimp and, and to write these books where the hero always beats up guys. I have one scene in a book coming up where the hero kills four ninja assassins with a single sparab and then eats it. And <laughs> it's all, it's it's embarrassing because like my mom was mentioning the sex scenes in the books and and people always look at me funny who've read the books cuz the second book's about child pornography and they all assume that I'm I'm into it or something. It's, it's very strange. Um, I'm not very good at just standing up and just speaking, but I'll tell you a little bit about myself and, and how I started writing these books, and I'll let you guys ask me questions. That's how I work best. I've only done this three or four times. I'm not as proficient as Mr. Ellison is at it. Um, I sold my first book through an odd combination of, of, of luck, and I like to think a little talent. Um, I had a journalism professor at UCLA named Louis Perdue, who's written a series of thrillers for Pinnacle Books. I don't think you've read them, but I'll mention a couple of them by name, The Delphi Betrayal, the Queen's Gate Reckoning. Let's see a bunch of applause, so I guess you haven't read them. And um, I used to read his manuscripts while he was writing them. We'd talk about them. And then we'd talk about our favorite thrillers, what was wrong with them. And his books did very well for Pinnacle. And they asked him to do a men's action-adventure series, which is the, the classic name, they give the kind of books that, that are called like the SOBs, the Rat Bastards, the Killmaster, the Butcher, the Terminator, um, the Mercenary. And I have one coming up called Jack Blood Death Fist. These are called Men's Action Adventure Series. It doesn't speak very well of men in general, but they're, they're fun. And most of them are written under pseudonyms like mine. Anyway, they asked him to write one of these things, and he said he wasn't stupid enough or hungry enough to do it, but he knew a little jerk who was. And uh, for 50% of the profits in the first four books, he was willing to give me the opportunity to do it. And what I did was I wrote must have been a dozen series proposals. I just, I went out and I bought every one of these men's action adventure books that I could find on the market, and I read them, which, it's like having the flu for two weeks or something, You're sitting down and reading these books, they're wretched. Guys, are never making love to women, and they're impaling them, and it's just, it, anyway, um, I read these books, and I said I'd come up with something that was clever, and I came up with a dozen different series ideas, and amongst these, I had one I was kind of embarrassed about, about a guy who's, whose father is killed and then he goes out and seeks revenge and then is blackmailed by the LAPD into becoming their hitman. And of course, that's the one Pinnacle loved. And um, so I wrote synopses of the first five books. None of those synopses ended up becoming books. I came up with better ideas later. And three sample chapters and an outline for the first book and they bought it. And we got a $10,000 advance, which to me sounded like a million dollars. Turned out that Spaced all out, it was less money that I was making freelancing. You didn't just get it in one big lump. And I knew right away that I didn't want to write this under my own name, because someday I'd like to be the next Larry McMurtry and I'll write a book I could be real proud of and sit here and talk to you about the themes and the heartache and how it comes from my core and all that wonderful, magical stuff Harlan Ellison was talking about last night. So I, I came up with Ian Ludlow. And uh, the reason for Ian Ludlow is it'll be right on the shelf next to Robert Ludlow. And if you're into men's action adventure or any action adventure at all, you know that Robert Ludlum is the best-selling author of, of thrillers. So odds are if you're looking for a thriller, you're going to go right to the Ludlum rack. And, and I don't know if you've seen the covers of the Ludlum books. They're usually a swastika and an Uzi and a dead fish with a spear in it or something. My book is this really mean guy with this gigantic gun looking right at you. And I think if you're faced with the choice of which book to buy, you might buy mine just out of sheer fear that the guy's going to shoot you. So I, I uh, I came up with Ludlow, and then Ian for Ian Fleming, because I'm a big James Bond fan because I look so much like Sean Connery. And I also hoped that the name Ian Ludlow would sound sort of familiar to people out there, and they'd think, Ian Ludlow, you know, I think I read something by that guy before. It was, pretty, it was a bestseller, and they'd buy my book, and then open it up and realize they were wrong, but too late, I've got their 3.15. <laughs> so um, I, did the, I was still in school, and I wrote the first four books. I wrote them at night. And I wrote them in classes, which caused an awful lot of problems because I don't know how long it's been since some of you were in a well, you've been doing it here. You sit and you take a lot of notes and you meet the professor's eye every so often, let them know you're interested. And I know from talking to my professors, they thought I was enraptured with their lectures. I was in the back of the room going, you know, writing like crazy, looking up every so often to take breaths, you know, like a swimmer. And they just thought I was just hanging on every word. Well the truth is I was writing my sex scenes and my violence and, and whatnot. And, uh, and I managed to pass to my amazement in those classes. And um, once I was so, this is a story my mom begged me to tell. I, I, once, I was finishing the third book during the Olympics. And that day, my girlfriend and I had broken up. And uh, I was mad and, and hurt and all this. And I was also behind my deadline. So I start, sat down and started having Brett Macklin deal out justice to the LA street scum. And while I'm doing this, someone jimmied open my front door, walked right past me, stole my TV set, which was on at the time, walked past me and out again. I didn't even notice. Worse yet, when the police officers came, they looked at my office and they went, my God, they ransacked the place. You didn't even notice? They, they didn't believe it. That's the way the room was all the time. So it was kind of embarrassing. Here I am dealing out justice and my television set stolen. Um Shortly after the book came out, I went out, knowing how badly books are promoted and having experienced the publication and promotion of my mother's book, I decided I'd better do some promotion of my own, so I started sending out press releases and whatnot and visiting bookstores, personally trying to convince them to carry it. It's not an easy book to get bookstores to carry. You can find them in 7-Elevens and gas stations, but you don't find The Death Fist and The Vigilante in many fine bookstores. Just go downtown Santa Barbara like I did this morning, and you won't find them. And... um, there are several articles written in the LA area about me and the books, and New World Pictures read one of the articles, and at the time, they were looking for a hard men's action-adventure movie to do, and they contacted me about the availability of the book, which they could have had for a nickel. All of a sudden, Bernard Getz blew away five people on a subway train. I should say right now, I don't um, think vigilantism is right. And I don't think he was right. But anyway, I am thankful that all the publicity came up because all of a sudden my book was very hot for about 15 minutes. And several studios were, were, uh, opt, were bidding for it. turns out New World Pictures won the bidding. And uh, we were able to convince them to let me and, and my friend write the screenplay. And right now they're casting. It should be out this time next year, keep your fingers crossed. And uh, see what else I can tell you about myself. That's about it. Are there any questions or, or anything? Yeah. Oh goody! <laughs> Please read it out loud and <laughs> embarrass me in public. Well, um, actually, the vigilante is a parody. My publisher and I had a couple arguments about this. I don't know if any of you've read the book. I don't think many of you have. You have good taste. Um, in the very beginning of the book, the hero is a charter airline pilot who sometimes flies around film crews who are shooting movies, and at the time his father is killed and he embarks on his vigilante efforts, um, he's doing um, location work for the crew of the Bloodmaster about this vigilante avenging the death of his father who takes to the street. And uh, so I, I try to spoof it the whole way through. If Pinnacle had one concern, it was that I shouldn't be spoofing my audience, I should be catering to them. And I talked... In fact, it reminds me of a funny story. I was in Books, Etc., in Santa Monica. And I, I like to look at these men's action-adventure books, see what the competition is. And I was standing there, and this old man comes up with a walker. Right? He comes right up to what I call the sleaze rack. comes right up, and he's standing there. And I'm holding a book called Hawker, you know, Vegas, Bloodbath of Hell or something. I'm holding it. He goes, terrible book, terrible book. Don't want to read it. Oh. And then looking as innocent as I possibly could, I went... What, what do you think of that book over there, uh, 357 Vigilante, right there? That one? Oh, that son of a bitch. All he does is more... Should I shoot him? Is it the right thing to do? He should just blow people away and get into bed a lot more often. Enough with this moralizing crap. <laughs> and I guy's got a walker. <laughs> and uh, he was telling me I picked up at the end, and he was telling me on and then he was telling me about my second book, which at the time wasn't out yet. And he was telling me it's much better, child pornography. And he was going on and on about it. And... Um, Apparently, he got an advanced copy through some bookstore or something, and, and uh, he said that the writer was young, and it was forgivable that his first book was so moralistic, and <laughs> I finally introduced myself to him. I, I couldn't resist. You know, i meet someone who read my book that didn't know me and wasn't a member of the family. <laughs> I said, Hi, I wrote the book. Well, you son of a bitch, what are you doing moralizing all that? <laughs> he, he, I thought he'd be nicer to me once he met me, or you know, he'd be in awe because he was with an author. He wasn't i thought he'd hit me with the walker
1: <laughs> and he
0: offered to give me advice on how to write these things properly and uh, it was a little scary because he thought that my sex scenes weren't brutal enough which bothered me there's a, a book called the specialist about this soldier of fortune who goes out and and kills anybody who looks at him funny or is a color he doesn't like or has a religious philosophy he doesn't believe in and the sex scene in that book scared the daylights out of me The guy is is making love, and the whole time he's thinking about the gooks he killed in Nam, and and how he wants to cut off this person's head and shoot this person. And the last thing I'd ever want to do is, is write that kind of stuff. So I hopefully, I don't know whether you can vouch for this or not, I've tried to make the sex scenes at least treat the women as human beings who have feelings and emotions like everybody else, and not some sort of male domination fantasy, which a lot of these books seem to be. In fact, a lot of the books, as mine probably will be soon, are written under pseudonyms for another reason, that is so the author can quietly slink away from his creation and let ghostwriters continue, and then the readers will never know that the original author has left. And I will probably be doing that pretty soon. I don't see writing these that much longer. Yeah? Like you slink away from those labels, of Well, right now I'm doing a, a hardcover book on how television series are packaged and sold to the networks, and that's been a dream of mine since I was about eight or nine years old. My mom can attest to the cartons of TV guides that are still in her garage in Palm Springs. And I've wanted to do that all my life. I, I think that, that book sort of balances out the sleeves because it's got a strong academic bend and it will have some value. I love, there's an author called Larry McMurtry. has a new book out called Lonesome Dove. I absolutely love that author. Everything he does, I think, is gold. And I'd love to write like he does. I'd like to write something like GARP or uh, Larry McMurtry, like Terms of Endearment or uh, Horsemen Pass By or something, um, but I have to admit I do enjoy writing these, these. As much as I put them down, I really shouldn't actually, I enjoy writing them and I have fun doing it and I hope people have fun reading them. The new series I'm doing, Jack Blood, B-L-U-D-D, is, um, is a spoof of these books. What I did was, I, like I said, I bought Copies of all these action adventure series. I went and I made a chart, a big piece of paper like that, of all the common elements in all these books. How they got started, you know, the action hero, what his mission is, and what his horrible past is, and all his allegiance and all that. And I made this list, and I took elements out of each of them and came up with Jack Blood, Death Fist. Um, Jack Blood's parents, James and Tracy, named after two characters in the Bond novel, are flying over Africa in their Cessna, which has been sabotaged by communists. It crash lands and their infant son Jack is raised by wolves. He's then found by American soldiers who who take him back to the US where he's trained by the CIA and espionage and hand to hand combat. And then he's dropped into Vietnam to get our POWs back. But he's betrayed by a what was it, a white supremacist child slavery ringleader, something like that, and uh, is captured by the Viet Cong, where he's tortured to the brink of death, and then escapes from Viet Cong prison, wanders through the jungle, and, and finds a lost tribe, a strange religious sect called the Kalahari, who teach him the ancient art of Koko Shinomiya, the death fist. So he um, comes back to America and hunts down all the members of the gang who betrayed him. The death fist skill is, is something of He's the one who uses his spare rib to kill uh, all those ninjas. He, um, if he gets shot in the arm, which happens in the opening chapter, he gets shot in the arm, he just leans over and bites the bullet out, spits it. And um, the fact in the first, the first line of the book is, I don't remember it exactly, but it's like, I've got my, it's, wait, what you feel is my hand wrapped around your puny heart. Talk, or I'll rip it out and eat it. And he, the guy talks. but. Uh, <laughs> So Jack Blood's sort of a spoof of The Destroyer and a few of these other series that are out there. Yeah. How much? Oh, in-depth. In-depth. I watch TJ Hooker and Hill Street Blues. I eat a bag of nacho cheese Doritos, and I stare at the screen a while. And it's rigorous. It
1: <laughs>
0: can't. I would not wish it on anyone. I mean, you have to have that, that magic music that Harlan Ellison was talking about to do that. Yeah.
1: How long did it
0: take you to take? Um. Since I haven't written one yet while I've been out of school, I can only say what it took me while I was in school and distracted doing... While I was in in school, and I was doing freelance work to stay alive, and and I had the government loans to keep me going. Um, It took me three months for each book, and um, I think they they look like they've been written. No, I shouldn't say that. I'm, I'm proud. The philosophy I use in writing these books is the same philosophy. I use in writing my freelance stories, so which just sound journalism, that is, have a very strong lead. And um, this sounds so egotistical, but I, I challenge any of you to read the first paragraph of my second book and then not read the second. I <laughs> it's something Lou taught me, actually, the guy who got me this, um, this book deal. His, one of his first lines in one of his books is, um, Nikolai Tesla knew he was dying he didn't know he was being murdered. And I've always thought that was a beautiful first line for a, a mystery thriller. And the first line of my first book isn't as compelling, but I've always tried to have a strong first line and the chapters too, because you want to hold the person's attention. Now once you've got them around page seven, you can start being lax, because you've got them, they've already bought the book and they're into it, nice. No, just a joke. Um, can I answer any other questions? There's a dearth of questions. Yes, the young, gorgeous, attractive lady in the front row. The research for the sex and has affected my person. You know, as my mother, you're not supposed to ask the questions that embarrass the living daylights out of your son. Um, the sex scenes are interesting. The first book doesn't have any real sex scenes. I mean, I allude to the sex, or I, I start the sex, or I finish it, but I don't really do it in the <laughs> step by step. And the publisher said, Lee, uh, these books are supposed to be entertaining. Let's you know, have some violence and some sex. So I had no trouble with the violence. So I have come up with all these kinky sex scenes. Everyone assumes I've done all that stuff with Oreo ice cream and electrodes and leather and stuff, and I haven't. But um, I listen a lot to my friends. In fact, friends of mine have tried out my sex scenes in advance to see if they'll work. <laughs> I have a, in fact, there's a character in my book, and I swear to God, this guy really exists, a character named Mort, who's this womanizing guy, or he thinks he's a womanizing guy. You know, he goes up to women and he says, um, hi there, baby, couldn't help noticing you. Have you seen Kramer vs. Kramer? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, most men are, are too busy being macho to admit this, but I cried during that movie. I <laughs> uses lines like that. And, <laughs> and in the book, I think the second or third book, they all blur in my mind, he has an operation on his tongue. He has his first connection here snipped, right so that uh, it's longer and he can satisfy women. And everyone says, oh, godly, that's gross. No human being would do that. That's just going too far. Wrong. My, my mom has met the young man who had that operation. You know, It's pretty scary. After movies, he's hungry. He catches flies and things. He's, it's... But, uh, and he's the guy who tries out all my sex scenes to see if they really work. I don't know if he's a good judge of it. Uh, my girlfriends, um, at the time I wrote, my first two books i was living with someone and, and she was always embarrassed she always was afraid that people would think that's what we did behind closed doors really we don't use all those chains and pulleys honest. you know she'd tell people and and um, she didn't let her parents see the books for fear they'd find out what sort of demon she was living with at the time and my current girlfriend has no right to complain about my sex scenes um, she's had two stories published in playgirl that were far more explicit than anything i've written I wouldn't be able to write that kind of stuff. See, I'm a little I'm a little You See, I, someday I would like to write a novel where the sex scenes aren't there to entertain or titillate the reader. They're there because they serve a purpose in developing character. They have some emotional content. They mean something to the characters involved. They aren't just thrown in either to fill out pages or or quicken the heartbeat of, of the reader. And Somebody asked me really what kind of book I'd like to do. Well, that's something I'd like to do a book that has no card chases and bullets. And if there's any sex or romance, it's there, because the characters create it, not because I create it to you know what I mean. Yeah Uh-huh. Let's see if I can remember. It, it was um, there was a definite formula to these books. The character was always some sort of vigilante, it seemed like. He was always working outside the law. He always used women like you know, drank like a beer. You drank a beer, you crinkle the can and toss. So that's the way these characters all treated women. Um, they all were outsiders and hated bureaucracy and yet all seemed to want to be a part of they all they all maintained the the values and virtues of the organizations they disdained, which is always an interesting contradiction I found in these books. Let's see. Oh, and they, so many of them were, were former CIA agents, or former cops, and so many of them... You know, there must be a lot of lost religious sects and ancient tribes out there, because so many of these characters have d- been discovered by a strange master of voodoo who teaches them a secret kung fu skill, which they then use to dismember 47 people. There's, in fact, there's a movie coming out this October called The Destroyer, based on another series done by my publisher. And this guy knows the secret art of Sinanju, which means he can do whatever the heck he wants, stop bullets with his teeth and, uh, and uh, all sorts of weird stuff. And let's see, what other things were there in the list? They were all badly written, <laughs> most of the books, except The Destroyer it had a sense of humor. The Destroyer, by the way, which, which Warren Murphy's name is on, is now entirely ghostwritten. I don't think he's written a Destroyer book since number 12 or 13, they're into the 50s now, though he does supervise the writing. Yeah. I don't know, my first book came out in March, and I went to Walnut Creek, my hometown, to do a book signing at the bookstore where I used to work. And I was all excited, I dressed up, my God, I'm gonna be autographing a book in the bookstore where I used to work. I was thrilled, I thought there'd be lines, you know, and <laughs> photographers, and beautiful women be running up to kiss me and all this stuff. And I got there, and I was all dressed up, ready to be a star and a celebrity. Not a single book, I hadn't been able to get any because they were sold out. The distributor had sold out, Ingram which is a blessing, I mean. It means they're bought. But then I had to stand there in front of what I knew were going to be droves of adoring fans. They weren't droves, but it still was embarrassing. Um, All I know is it's doing, Pinnacle says it's doing better than any first book they've had in the series in some time. And uh, I've, I've read some of their other series. One was called Justin Perry, The Assassin. In his first book, he stopped, I swear to God, a rampaging band of psychic chickens from destroying a space shuttle launch. It was It was terrible. um, I don't know how they're doing. The second book just came out last month. Third book comes out in September. Fourth book comes out in December or January, and we're talking now about doing four more. Um, I killed off just about everybody in the fourth book. hope that doesn't ruin anything for you, just because I was getting a little tired of it, and I wanted to do something different if I came back. And if I didn't come back, I wanted to make sure that whoever they hired to be the new Ian Ludlow wasn't doing anything that I had done. and it was he'd have to start from a blank slate and I wouldn't have to feel like I was responsible for the horror that he'd subject mankind to. Um, yeah. Is there, seriously, is there any
1: guideline that you can give to all these people who want
0: Yes, to? yes. The one thing that helped me when, when my journalism professor gave me that wonderful opportunity was I was ready for it. I had been reading the kind of books I wanted to write like crazy. I mean, I, I read two or three books a week I don't know if that's like crazy. Some of you probably read more than that. But I read a lot of thrillers. And I read a lot about them. And a lot of the articles I do for magazines involve movies or television. So I'm up to date on, on what's happening in the genre. So I was ready for it. I, I wanted to do it. I had ideas in my head. I've got some strange book proposals coming. I'm doing... I shouldn't say I'm doing this book because they haven't bought it yet. But we're talking about it with them. A, a Plot to Clone Jesus from the Shroud of Turin. A, a reporter uncovers that. And uh, that will that will... I'll draw my vast experience in Catholicism and all that to write that book. <laughs> and um, a book about... I know these all sound sleazy. Some going to write something really good, but right now I just don't... I seem to want to keep doing these potato chip books. I uh a book called Thrillsville about a, a amusement park that's built on on this... Um, well, their, their computer center, the amusement park, is built where this really strange family of witches and nasty people lived, and they possessed the... Computer that runs the amusement park and lots of people die and until this uh, computer expert comes and exercises the computer. Sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? But Pinnacle seems to like it, and it seems like something I can have fun writing, which is important to me. Any other questions? Yeah.
1: How long have you been in journalism and writing
0: articles? Um. I think, was it third grade when I started on the Redwood log at Redwood Heights Elementary School in, in Oakland, California? I've always wanted to write. It helps that both my parents, when I was growing up, were reporters. My father worked for, um, he was the anchorman for several television stations in San Francisco, and my mom was a reporter and columnist for a local newspaper. And um, I worked on the high school paper, and I'd sold f- I also worked on the local paper when I was 16, covering the police speed, which I guess also helps me write these action-adventure books. And then I went to UCLA, worked on the school paper there, and started selling. First time I sold a freelance article for 300 bucks, I decided I'd never be a newspaper reporter and just went strictly freelance. And I, the only allegiance I have to any magazine is I'm the West Coast correspondent for Newsweek on Campus, which is a new magazine that Newsweek has been publishing for the last three years that goes to all the college campuses and universities in the country. And that's a lot of fun. And besides, if you want to interview somebody and you say you're with Newsweek, they get right on the phone. They don't have a meeting. They aren't on the telephone doing something else. They're right there for you. It's like saying Jesus Christ is on the phone for you, and they get right on, you know. <laughs> yeah? So I so in how many hours do they uh, Depends whether you mean on these vigilante books or the freelance articles. I spend most of my day writing. Um, I have to if I want to keep the lights on in the house and keep the TV dinners in the, in the <laughs> freezer. Um, I just got out of school in January. March? January? Right. March. And... Um, I've been living off of what I'm doing writing. I've been, I was very lucky because the movie sale gave me enough money that I, can, I know I'll be alive until January. And, if, and it looks like they're going to start shooting September 9th, and if that is true, I know I can be comfortable enough to sit down and write the kind of books I want to write for a couple of years, so I'll be fine. And that, what I'm working on right now that's killing me is this screenplay. Um, we've done three drafts. I've learned more doing this screenplay than anything else I've ever done in my life. Plus, I have to do a St- I, Harlan Allison told one story last night that I had told him about um, this guy who used to be in legal affairs, he became head of production, and uh, my script's the first script he's had to deal with in his new post, and the villain is killing off people, well, I won't tell you why, because I'll tell you the plot of the first book if I do that, but he's killing off people, he's a nasty guy, and the studio wanted a different motivation for the villain to be killing people, which was fine with me, and I had some suggestions, and this guy's suggestion was, what if he's trying to hide the fact that he's gay? I didn't find that particularly compelling. Um, and then they, had a, they wanted to make Brett Macklin a hunchback, short guy. because some, Somebody had read this series by um, Chesbro, Cheesebro, something like that, about a midget private eye and thought it might be a new slant of a midget vigilante. And I thought I could just see myself. the I felt like I was writing for a circus, you know, a little midget vigilante. And... Um, <laughs> Then they, they thought they'd cast Old and have Robert Mitchum play uh, uh, Brett Macklin. I could just see Robert Mitchum doing it. Nothing against Robert Mitchum. He's a fantastic actor, but he's a little old to be playing Brett Macklin. Um, but the screenplay is so different from a book. Because a book you're allowed to go into people's heads and have exposition and describe things. No, the screenplay, everything has to be told through action and, and through dialogue. And you can't be too wordy. Every word has to count. And it's tough. It's tough. It's and it's great. And plus having to deal with the producer's concerns and the studio's concerns and one time the budget was 6 million now it's 3 so you have to rewrite the script so it can be made at a reasonable price and you have to take all these concerns into account, and it really taxes you, not only as a writer, but as a person. I mean, you want to punch these people. You finish this script, they say, it's wonderful. Two days later, they say, oh, we lost one investor. We can't have that big car crash at the end. It's just too expensive. And those two characters, Otto and Bird, can you combine them into that little gang member you have at the beginning and just carry him throughout the movie? It won't change anything. Won't change. The little gang member died in the first two minutes of the movie. To carry him through, it won't change anything. I was talking to Harlan Ellison about this and of course Harlan Ellison is legend for telling people to cram his screenplay up their asses, you know, and he was telling me to do that. And I said, Well it's a little different, Harlan. You've got forty two books and you're, you know, somewhat established. This is my first screenplay. I can't tell a movie studio to take it and, and do the horrible things you'd want them to do it." and he told me I was gutless.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yes, my
0: friend is a graduate student in the UCLA screenwriting program, and his first screenplay Shattered Shatterdoll, which I have sold to Pinnacle Books as a novel, which I will, I'll be writing a book version of his screenplay. won the Jack Nicholson Award at UCLA, which Jack Nicholson funds, so he got the money to stay alive to help me write the screenplay. and uh, We're very, very good friends. In fact, we write... I was talking to Mike Butler yesterday. I don't know if any of you took the little screenwriting seminar that Paul Lazarus... Uh, teaches, but Mike Butler and I were talking. He and a guy named Dennis Schrike wrote for about 10 years. They wrote Pale Rider, the new Clint Eastwood movie coming out, and they wrote um, The Gauntlet, and probably the worst movie ever made, The Car, about a possessed Lincoln Continental that runs over James Brolin and his family. Um, he and Dennis he each took different drafts. The way Bill and I write is we actually sit down at the computer together. And we, we talk out the scene, and in fact, we may even become the characters. That's another technique I use. I act out a lot of my scenes. Not the sex scenes, but the others. And um, we'll act out the scene, and one of us will sit down at the computer and write it, or put it down. And then, for, Or I might be in a nasty mood. I can't think. I don't understand this, this scene that the producer wants us to do It all. Bill, just take the damn computer. You do it. I'm going to sit over here. And then, of course, I come over and rewrite the whole thing and get them upset. But we work very well together. And I've, I've interviewed a lot of screenwriters and a lot of screen writers who work together and no one seems to work the way Bill and I do at the computer together. Our styles are very much the same and our sense of humor is very much the same. In fact, we'll be doing this Jack Blood series together under the pseudonym Dirk Faulkner. I figured I was next to Ludlum last time. Let's be next to Faulkner this time. <laughs> but, uh, any other questions that I can answer? Yeah. Well, I Mike Butler, yeah. Oh yes, I have a butler. These vigilante <laughs> books have been very lucrative. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else? Yeah? Since you've been writing for a national you look familiar. Were at the Starlog convention a while back? Yeah. Okay, so do you do Absolutely not. I can't stand science fiction. Truthfully, I like science fiction movies and I love writing for that magazine because they let me do whatever I want. And So I'm a big James Bond fan and this magazine Let's me interview everybody who works on the James Bond films. I got to have lunch with Roger Moore while he was naked. Real thrill, huh? He was changing between scenes, so I'd interview him in his trailer. And i thought, oh my God, there's so many women who'd like to be in this position. He just looked like a bad James Bond, an old man to me. Anyway, um, you know, I have no desire to write science fiction. I, I don't like reading it. I, I think it's a, you're probably going to lynch me for this, and Starlog will probably get a letter from you and fire me, but I always feel cheated when I watch when I read these books because the hero will be in a terrible predicament and then pull out the amazing Glingers, whatever it is and it solves this whole problem for him or he it, it, like there's no rules in science fiction it's all too easy I don't Well, I like having the constrictions of reality imposed on me though I do I mean obviously a guy can't kill three ninjas with a spare rib and they eat it but um, at least he's using a spare rib and not a who's in blast you know you read Starlock do you like it I don't meet many Starlog readers, and mostly I say Starlog, and they think it's—I don't know—it's some strange gossip magazine or something. And you look better than most Starlog readers. I don't know if you—you you heard Harlan Ellison last night, but he's absolutely right about them all looking like outcasts from the Munsters series. You know. <laughs> uh, any other questions I can answer? Yeah. I'm just wondering if it, how it affects you to have such fame. There's not such fame. I mean, I—I I, I don't have any fame really. The only problem I have is. You know, my, my girlfriend asked me this, she seems to think that it's, I guess it hasn't hit me yet it might hit me when the movie comes out and I see the poster and I see the grosses or lack thereof Or the only time I felt um, like I had any fame or anything was New World Pictures took out a full page color ad in Variety which is the trade paper of the entertainment industry and that made me feel good, because so I've been reading Variety since I was, for a while I was the only person in Walnut Creek getting Variety, so the post office told me and it made me feel real good to see it there my friends keep handing me novels and screenplays, thinking I can get them made, and I'm trying very hard just to get my own stuff done. I, and it hurts my friends' feelings, but I don't have any secret avenue or power or anything. I had to go out and get an agent like everybody else, and and I, it's, I can't sell every time I write a grocery list. I can't sell it to Bantam Books. I'm, I'm still doing men's action adventure series for Pinnacle. I'm not, I'm not Sidney Sheldon, thank God. But I mean, I'm not uh, anybody that big. Um. And the other times I feel good is like going out here and seeing so many copies of my book. Usually I go into B. Dalton, there's one, and it's way in the back, misfiled, you know, way stuck in the corner there, and it's wrinkled. You know. So I don't feel that. Uh. Starlog actually makes me feel a lot more famous than, than the books, because I can go anywhere and find Starlog magazine. I, can, I went to Vancouver once to the set of Iceman to do a story, and, and I went into the gift shop, and there was something I'd written two weeks ago. And it's weird to be assaulted with me in a town I'd never been in. And maybe it's probably Loon City, Washington has copies of Starlock <laughs> yeah do you have any talks about why Gail just popular? everybody scans he and a writer but you he can't I've only read three books of his one I absolutely love which is The Other Side of Midnight maybe if I read it now I wouldn't like it but I loved it when I read it Naked Face I hated. it and then I read one th- I don't know what it was some about a stand-up comic who slept with everybody and I don't know I think for the same reason Harold Rodman does so well you know, sex, I suppose. I don't know. Anything else? Yeah. How do you promote your books,
1: and are you directed to do that by agents?
0: No, I'm directed to do that by greed. And <laughs> Pinnacle Books does not publicize a damn thing. They are terrible about publicity. They own nothing about publicity. I was lucky enough to have a mother who was into public relations, had her own public relations firm. I worked on a newspaper. I've worked on lots of magazines and things. So I have been deluged, deluged, however you pronounce it, all my life with press releases. So I knew a lot about what makes a reporter look at a press release twice. And I knew what makes them throw it away immediately. And I knew the angles I'd look for if I wanted to do a story about me. So what I did was I said, okay, what would make anybody want to do a story about a guy who writes vigilante novels? I, I decided, and my girlfriend and I had arguments about it, she this is incredibly self-centered. I went, I'm 23 years old. 23-year-old kid in college writes sleazy action series. I thought I'd get a dozen feature stories written about me that way. So I have a computer program called Mail Merge. I wrote up six different releases. Then I called up my editor at Newsweek Magazine and said, i got a great idea for a story about this 23-year-old kid who (laughs) writes these action-adventure books in class, you know, rape scenes when he should be taking anthropology notes and all this. In fact, I think you guys all got a copy of that story in your packet. And he said, great, great, who is it? And I went, me. And he thought about it, and he says, that might not be a bad idea, first-person essay. I said, yeah. Well, Newsweek on campus has a circulation of 1.8 million. So I wrote that, and the guy published it several months before my book came out, which didn't do me that much good. But I took that article and I Xeroxed 200 copies of it. Then I wrote these press releases. Then I got a copy of Editor and Publisher and found out all the magazines and newspapers that I thought would be interested in my story. And I geared it towards different areas of the country. For instance, the press releases that were sent to the media in the Bay Area, I said, Walnut Creek resident and lifelong, and as I had mentioned my family connections to the Bay Area. My family recently moved to Palm Springs. So all the stuff I sent to Palm Springs said Lee Goldberg, Palm Springs resident. And um, my, a lot of my family comes from Washington. So I send releases to the Spokane-Walla-Walla Walla area and say, Lee Goldberg, grandson of Dorothy and David Bear of Walla-Walla, Washington, who wrote all three novels while at Loon Lake, Washington. you know, And I did write one novel there, but I exaggerated. And Luckily, I did this scatter shot. I sent off lots of them. Didn't cost me much money—maybe what 22 cents for each envelope. The Xerox I did at Newsweek. Don't tell the Washington Post or Jones Newsweek that I did that, and um, sent it all off. And subsequently, I had an article written, two articles written about me in the Santa Monica Evening Outlook, one in the Contra Costa Times, one last week in the Oakland Tribune. A half-hour TV special about me and my friend Bill will be airing July 20th in San Francisco on the ABC affiliate. Um, Campus Voice Magazine did a story. Your sister wrote it. Okay, so my sister wrote it. Uh, (laughs) uh, The uh, LA Reader did a piece. Um, Starlog Magazine did an article. Starlog Magazine has a circulation of 300,000 plus. I write for them, so there's some recognition there. And underneath my, every time I write an article for Starlog, which is every month, it mentions that I've written 357 Vigilante. And uh, I gave out lots of free copies to people who I thought would give me good word of mouth. And oh, and there's an article coming up in Palm Springs Life, which my mom had nothing to do with. And uh, what else is coming up? But anyway, that's what I did. And then I sent all this stuff to Pinnacle, and I said, so here's what I'm doing. What are you doing? They sent me a copy of their press release. Called me Dan Goldberg. It was horribly written, had no angle whatsoever, and it was made to be thrown away. And they say they sent this out with my book. I've never heard a single peep out of anything from Pinnacle's publicity. My own, I still get stuff from.